And let's turn to uh, God's Word now, page 1823 in your pew Bibles, page 1823. And uh, that should take you to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll begin reading with verse 12 this morning. And I understand this sort of picks up in the middle of a thought. And so it's a little difficult. I'll try and explain some of that in the message. But uh, you may want to keep your Bibles open so that you can refer back and refer ahead. We'll be uh, all over this text this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We've just got a couple weeks left in this series on Philippians. And uh, we continue to pray that the Holy Spirit will open his word to us. Let's hear that word now. Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, unless you've been living under a rock the last week, you're aware that yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of the September 11 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and really on our country as a, as a whole. And for those of us who remember that day and really others like it, I think you would admit that there's nothing like an attack such as that, the attack of an enemy to heighten our idea of, of citizenship, okay? I mean, it's not like I was attacked personally, and yet I was attacked. You weren't attacked personally, but you were attacked. Because we belong to a, a group of people that live within certain boundaries and share certain values. We answer to a particular government and a certain set of laws. And so... I was attacked, and you were attacked because we were attacked. America was attacked. That's what happens when you're attacked. It heightens our idea of citizenship. It heightens our idea of, of what really is home. In verse 20 of our text, Paul brings up this topic of, of citizenship. 
And sure enough, it's because of an attack. Paul says that there are in Philippi enemies of the cross, and it has heightened his awareness that that he and really the entire church, we are all citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship lies. We are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of Philippi, sure. And we're citizens of the earth, yes, of course. But first and foremost, we are citizens of heaven. Now, what's the attack that has made Paul consider the place that he ultimately calls his home? Well, he refers to that attack in verse 19. He says, there are some who live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Now, now most scholars agree that Paul is referring here to the Judaizers that we talked about last week. These are people who visited new groups of Christians, okay? They kind of followed in the wake of Paul's missionary journeys. They would visit the churches that he planted, and they would visit them with the message that the cross really was not enough. The cross might accomplish something, right? It might accomplish something in the spiritual realm. It might make us predisposed in some way to God's goodness, but Really, in order to be God's true people, the true people of God, something needed to happen right here in the flesh. And that is, they needed to become Jewish. Okay? The church needed to become Jewish. And so these people preached obedience to the dietary laws of the Jews. Their God is their stomach, says Paul. And they preach submission to circumcision. Their glory is in their shame, says Paul. And Paul regards this as nothing less than an attack. An attack on the church. An attack on what it means to be Christian. An attack on what it means to be a citizen of heaven. It's an attack really on heaven. Let's just recall for a moment... What is this gospel that that Paul has been preaching? And he says it in verse 13. It's a gospel of forgetting what is behind. Okay? When you believe the gospel, you, you forget what is behind. You have to. Right? Now, for Paul, that meant that he had to forget the status that he had earned before he met Christ. He had to forget this resume that we talked about last week, right? That resume of self-righteousness that he thought he had earned. This resume that that he presented to God. And finally, he realized that 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 resume he was lifting up before God was really just a pile of cow manure. And that's what he expected God to look at and accept him. And, And Paul said, there comes a point where I had to forget all that and realize my goodness, my righteousness just wasn't enough. I can only offer God the righteousness of Christ. And so I've got to forget what's behind, and I've I've got to accept this gift, this gift of God's grace. You know, the goodness of Christ that can only come to me, the resume of Christ that can only come to me by grace. It's a gift. So Paul had to forget his goodness, but Paul also had to forget his badness. He had to forget what a horrible person he was. 
Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He orchestrated the persecution and even the deaths of Christ's followers. As Paul describes himself elsewhere, he was the worst of sinners. He's not, he's not making that up. It's not hyperbole. He's, that's how he sees himself, the worst of sinners. I, I persecuted Christ's people. The worst of sinners, but according to the gospel, no longer. I mean, when we put our faith in Christ and his work on our behalf, we, we have to forget what is behind. And in Christ, even the worst of sinners shares the dignity of being called children of God. There's no hierarchy in the family of God, in the church of Jesus Christ. There are no, um, no people who just sort of scraped in by the skin of their teeth. No. We all scraped in by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we forget what's behind, and there's a, a newness among us. There is in the body of Christ an equality among us by the grace of our God. And so the gospel of grace leads us to this certain picture of, of heaven, doesn't it? I mean, grace presents us with a view of what heaven is actually going to be like. And it's a picture of a banquet table set with God as the host and we as the guests. But when you look at the people gathered around that table, it's a surprising group of people, isn't it? People that might look very different than us. Reminds me of, uh, of one of the short stories of Flannery O'Connor. If you remember Flannery O'Connor, she was a 20th century Christian author, um, wrote a lot of stories about the South, and those stories were written about grace. And there's a story that she writes called Revelation. And if, if you recall it, I know one scene that I remember from that short story is Mrs. Turpin, who's kind of the, the main character of the story. She finds herself in the doctor's office with her son, and, and she, she looks around the doctor's office, and she has this way of sort of judging everybody in the room. Well, I'm not black like them, and I'm not white trash like them, and I'm not crippled like that person, and I'm not ugly like that person. And she goes on and on mentally just destroying everybody else in the room. You probably call Mrs. Turpin a prig or a prude herself. And finally, she has this revelation. She's given a vision. And in this vision, she sees sort of an escalator going up to heaven. And on that escalator, she sees all of these people from the doctor's office and they're all going up to heaven before her. And she looks at herself, and she can't figure it out. She can't figure out what's going on. And yet, that's really the picture of heaven that, that Paul gives us. It's a, a place created by grace, where there are Jews and Gentiles together, and there are prostitutes and prudes together, and there are tax evaders and IRS auditors together, and all of them are eating side by side and laughing together and candidly testifying how none of them deserves to be there. And yet they are, by the gift and the grace of their God. 
And Paul sees that beautiful picture of grace, and, and he sees it under attack here in Philippi. You know, what's, what's the phrase that we've been hearing all this week? It's never forget, never forget. Why should we never forget? Because when you forget, history is doomed to repeat itself, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying when you forget grace, the result is something far less than heaven. And, and you know, he can think of any number of examples. Think of Galatia. There in Galatia, there sits Peter, right? The foremost of disciples, one of Jesus' inner circle. Where do you find Peter in Galatia? I mean, is he sitting at the table eating pork ribs with his Gentile friends? No, Peter is way, way, way on the other side of the room, sitting at a completely different table from those, those, those barbarians over there. Somehow the, the gospel has gotten into Peter to a certain extent, to a certain level, but there it stopped. And the picture that is the result of that is something less than the picture of heaven, than the picture of a place that's created by the grace of our God and the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that's what happens. That's what happens when you, when you forget grace. Heaven becomes something totally different. And, and Paul fears that that's exactly what's going to happen in Philippi. You see, the picture that the Judaizers are promoting, the picture of the church that they're promoting, that picture doesn't require grace to exist. And it doesn't require the cross. Quite frankly, it doesn't even require Jesus. It's a picture of the church which includes a bunch of people who look just like the Apostle Peter sitting at tables and, and eating together. They're all the same. Now, maybe, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Maybe they aren't exactly the same. Maybe they're a little different from, from each other. I mean, maybe some like hamburger, some prefer tuna, tuna casserole. I don't know who would. But you don't need the cross to bring this group of people together. I mean, all you need is a pickleball league. That's what brings this group together. This is a picture of something that the earth can produce. They have their mind on earthly things, says Paul. They are enemies, therefore, of the cross. There are some things that only the cross can build. Christians, says Paul, have their minds on heavenly things. Heaven dictates their behaviors, their lifestyles, their identity, their values, who they hang with, who they don't. All of it comes from heaven. All of it comes from above. All of it comes from Jesus to be lived out right here on the earth. Our allegiance in the church is to Jesus Christ. No matter where we live, we're citizens of heaven. No matter where we live, our allegiance is to him. And we live the way he calls us to live. And there's a tension in that, isn't there? 
There's a tension in living out the ways of heaven here on the earth. And the tension is between living out our true identity or settling for something less. Right? We can live our lives as citizens of heaven or we can live our lives settling for earth. We can live as citizens of heaven or we can settle for being citizens of Brookfield or Milwaukee or America or whatever it is. You've probably heard of COVID fatigue by now, right? It's just when we get so sick of hearing about it, we, we we can't take any action anymore. COVID fatigue. I think there's such a thing actually as heaven fatigue. Heaven fatigue. Living out heaven here on the earth, does that ever make you tired? I mean, think about it. God is gracious, and so we have to be gracious. I mean, God is generous, so we have to be generous. Ah, It's a lot. It's a lot to ask for. Just, Just think of neighbor love, okay? Loving our neighbors as ourselves. All right. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we apply something like that? Well, it means that we should be generous to the poor. Okay, okay, I can do that. I got that down. Well, it also means that we should seek justice for the oppressed. Really? I mean, I've got this generosity thing down. Now you want me to to seek justice for the oppressed. And also remember the sanctity of life. Okay? All right. That means fight, fight abortion. I can do that. I'm there. Okay? But that also means that you might have to learn how to care for those who are already born. That you hold their lives in high regard also. So what does that mean about how you look at the orphans in the world? Or, or how you approach you know, questions of health care for those who have no access to it, or refugees pouring into the country from Afghanistan and other places. Oh, you want me to think about all that? I mean, I get the abortion struggle thing, but oh, I can't do any more than that. Heaven fatigue. You know, you can, you can start your way down that road to heaven But after a while, you just get too tired and you can't go any further. And friends, this is, I think, where the heart of our text lies, at just that point. Why is it, okay, why is it that we can pursue heaven in part, but not the whole? I mean, why are we willing to live out our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship, in some capacities here on the earth, but not in all capacities, not in every capacity? Why do we live out the mind of Christ, the mind of heaven, at at sometimes in extraordinary ways? And then at other times, we just revert back to the mind of earth. How do we become full-time citizens of heaven, living out our true citizenship right here and right now, all the time? How does that happen? Well, here's the answer, I think. Verse 17. 
Paul writes this, join with others in following my example. Now that's, that's a lot to say. Join with others in following my example. Paul wants us to follow his example. What's his example? Well, verse 12, this was the beginning of our text. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay? He says it again in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on and I go until I get to the goal. Now, we need to break that down a bit so we can understand and hear what Paul's actually saying. What's the goal that he's pressing toward? What is he moving on toward? Where's the prize? Okay? What does he want to take hold of? Well, to answer that, we actually have to go back. You have to go back to last Sunday's message. You have to go back to last Sunday's text. This is what he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's the goal. That's the prize. It's not knowing the basic tenets of Christianity. It's not even knowing the Heidelberg Catechism. Those things are great. But Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the person. I want to know his presence. I want to know his holiness, his awesomeness, his lordship. I want to know Jesus, everything about him. I want to know Christ. That's the goal. And I press on toward that goal. He says, I haven't accomplished it yet. Right? That's how he starts. Not that I've obtained this, because I haven't. I only know Jesus somewhat. I only know him in part, but... I want to know everything. I want to know Jesus more as the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth before whom every knee shall bow one day and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I want to know him like that. Scott Jose shares a little story from a book called Open Secrets uh, by Richard Lisher. Lisher is a, is a young pastor um, comes to his first call in a rural church in, in Illinois. He's fresh out of school. He's only been here less than a week. His phone rings in the middle of the night. It was Ed Franco saying that his wife, Doral, was at St. Joe's Hospital with a ruptured gallbladder. Surgery was imminent. Things were looking a bit shaky. We need you here if you can, he said. So the pastor jumps in his car, drives over to the hospital, finds them, in a little alcove just off the main corridor of the hospital. Ed is nervously patting his wife's sweaty arm. Franco's are, you know, they're a childless, middle-aged couple. They've never missed church, but so far the pastor hasn't gotten to know them. As he approaches the gurney, okay, in the hallway on which Doral is lying, Ed and Doral look at him expectantly. It was then he realizes he forgot his prayer book, he forgot his Bible, he forgot anything else that might help him figure out what he's actually supposed to do in a situation like this. So the woman is looking at him. He says, she's the most frightened person I've ever seen in my life. And she's looking at me, her pastor, like I'm supposed to say something to fix this. It's very quiet in the alcove. And finally, he just croaked out the first thing he could think of that had anything to do with church. And he said, the Lord be with you. And also with you, they piped back. 
as though they'd just been waiting for those particular words. So he said, lift up your hearts. And they answered, we lift them up to the Lord. And suddenly, Elisha writes, the Lord himself was in that alcove. He was the Lord of that alcove in that sacred moment. And suddenly, much that had been disheveled and fevered and sweaty was recomposed. And they said a brief prayer together. And Doral was soon wheeled away into the OR, calmer and somehow now ready for surgery. And friends, I see that kind of thing all the time. The Lord of the alcove. And Paul says, that's the Christ I want to know. The Lord of hospital alcoves the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the one whose presence just sets everything right. I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. I want to experience him. I want to know him more fully. And Paul says, this is what we're after. We're after Christ. Nothing less. And as citizens of heaven, friends, we can know him. We can know the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth. We can. And so Paul says, I press on. I press on toward knowing this Lord. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word that Paul uses here to press on uses the same word in verse 6, only there it means, I, I persecuted the church. All right? And you kind of wonder, okay, how can a word mean persecute and one occasion in a few verses later mean he's pressing on towards something really, really good? Um, Gordon Fee tries to explain that. He says the primary meaning of this word, the primary sense of the word is to push or to drive or even to pound on something. And so in the one case, Paul is pounding on the church of Christ. He's persecuting it. On the other He's pounding on himself, and he's pushing himself and driving himself. He's gathering up his entire being, and he's moving it all, pushing it all in the direction of knowing Jesus more. This is a very intense kind of thing. Paul says, I'm putting everything I have into this one task, and that's knowing Christ more. And Paul says that, that we should follow his example in this, that we ourselves should gather up every part of our being and push it all in the direction of knowing Jesus more. Because the more we know Christ, he says, the more we will know his heaven, the more we will know his home, and the more we know his home, the more we will know our home. The more we will know our home. And the more we'll be able to live out that home right here and now in this world. We want the mind of Christ in us, right? The mind of heaven so that we can live it out right here and right now. But friends, we still don't have everything that Paul is saying here because he says that he's pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. 
Okay? In other words, there is a reason, says Paul, there is a reason why Christ took hold of me. What is that reason? Why did Christ take hold of Paul? He took hold of Paul because Jesus wants the very same thing that Paul wants. Jesus wants Paul to know him more. God wants you to know him more. That's what he's pressing on toward. Remember what Jesus says in the book of John? He says, this is eternal life. This is real life. Okay? What's real life, Jesus? It's to know God and to know Jesus Christ, his son. That's real life. That's the goal. It's to know God. It's to know Jesus. That's what life is about. That's what real life is about. It's not about getting to heaven about knowing God right here and right now. That's the goal. And that's a goal that'll be in front of us forever, won't it? I mean, getting to know God more and more and more and more. It's what Paul says. This is the Apostle Paul, remember? This is the Apostle Paul. It's not like I've already attained this, he says, but I'll keep pressing forward forever. Okay, but there's still a little bit more here. Who took hold of whom first? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Who took hold of whom first? Did Paul take hold of Christ? Or was it the other way around? That Christ took hold of Paul? Who's primary? Who initiates the action? It's Christ. Jesus is primary. Now, why is that so important? What does that matter? Is it important? Friends, getting this correct, knowing this, changes Christianity into a completely different religion. It's right here. Knowing that Christ takes hold of us first. We don't take hold of him. We're not primary. Christianity is not a self-help religion. There are a lot of those in the world, right? Hey, I took up this whatever religion, you fill in the blank, I took this up so that I could what? Become a better person. Christianity is not like that. Although... We try to make it like that. Think about it. Think about that question we asked earlier. Why do we so often stop short of heaven? Why do we settle for a bit of heaven rather than taking all of it, rather than living out all of it? It's because I take hold of Jesus, not the other way around. You see, friends, when I take hold of Jesus, when I'm the initiator, I also get to set the goal, don't I? I get to set the goal. I took hold of Jesus for this. I took hold of Jesus so that I would be a better father or a better husband. Or I took hold of Jesus to beat my addiction. I took hold of Jesus to find meaning in life. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? You've heard them before. 
I took hold of Jesus or I became a Christian because I felt I should be doing more for the poor or because my husband told me I was a shallow person. So I took hold of Jesus. And what happens? What happens when we reach the goal? What happens when we become a better father? What happens when we beat the addiction? What happens when we quit sleeping around? What happens is we stop. I've reached the goal that I set out before me. I became a Christian. I took hold of Jesus so he would help me get this far. Now that I've achieved that goal, I stop. I quit. I've gone far enough. Heaven fatigue. This is as far as I go. No farther. But what happens if it's Christ who takes hold of you? What happens if Christ sets the goal? What happens if Jesus says, I took hold of you so that you would get to know me more and more and more? Then you can't stop. You don't get to stop. He sets the goal. That's what he's pressing toward. That's what he's working toward. And that's what you've got to work toward. And friends, the more you know Jesus, the more you know Jesus, the more you know his heart. The more you know his heart, the more you know his ways. The more you know his ways, the more you know his mind. The more you know Jesus, the more you know his lordship and how good it is. The more you know his holy ways, the more you know his love, the more you know his heaven. And the more you know his heaven, the more you know his home. And the more you know his home, the more you know your home. And the more that becomes a part of you, your home, the more that becomes a part of you here and now, the more you become a true citizen of heaven in this place, in this world. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to be a better person. He says, I want you to know me. Because when you know me, my mind will become your mind. And when my mind is your mind, you will wrap flesh around it and you will be my people. You will be heaven right here on earth. Paul says one day, our bodies will be like his glorious body. This is the last thought, right? Our bodies will be like his glorious body. Well, what was his glorious body like? If you remember, his glorious body had scars all over it. They didn't disappear. The scars of the cross. Why scars of the cross? Because Jesus never compromised. He pressed on. He pressed on toward the goal. He brought us all of heaven, not just a part, all of heaven. And he suffered because of it. And his father glorified him for it. And friends, one day by his power, Paul says, our bodies will be like his. Scarred like his. Beaten like his spit on like his but glorified like his by the one who has the power to bring all things not just some things all things under his control the one who wants us to know him more let's bow together in prayer
Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to know you more. Help us to see the scars that you endured, the cross that you endured, and the glory that awaited you, and that is now yours. May we know you more so that our bodies may one day be glorified just like yours. Lord, don't let us turn away from the cross. Make us willing to bear the scars, to lift up and pick up your cross and to carry it like you did. Help us to know you more in every way and to live out heaven right here on earth. This is our prayer in Jesus' name and by your grace. Amen.